the podcast internet radio show for teachers and educators everywhere. I'm your host, Brian. Happy New Year. This is going to be a rebroadcast with Vicki Davis. She hosts a podcast internet radio show called The 10-Minute Teacher. And not only is she a podcaster teacher, but an author and keynote speaker. And she's going to give us some motivation, some teaching strategies, and some of what she's learned over her very successful journey as an educator. Let's get started. We have... Ms. Vicki Davis. Vicki, tell me, how did you get into the education business? You're juggling so much that revolves around teaching and education these days. But was it always something that you wanted to do uh, early on? No, I actually had my business. I was teaching teachers how to use technology, and I was training businesses on how to use technology, and an opening happened at my school, and the curriculum director was acting principal, and she called me over, and she said, you would make an amazing high school teacher, and I was like, oh my goodness, but you know, I believe in hearing people out, so I went and had a meeting with her, and put the hard sell on me. At the time, I had two of my three kids were at the school. So I told her I would give her a year, and that was 14 years ago. So I am in my 15th year of teaching and love it. That's encouraging to hear that after 15 years, you're still enjoying this. Was it always that way at the beginning? Take us through the first year, some of the highs and and some of the lows and and lessons learned, uh, your beginning year of teaching. Honestly, the first year is excruciating. It's difficult, and I cringe thinking about all the mistakes I made. I did love what I did with students and some of the things we did. But I would have to be honest with you, the first year was far from perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. I screwed up a lot. I made mistakes a lot. Not, you know, coming from not being in the teaching profession originally, in the business world, when somebody doesn't do the right thing, you can fire them. Um, in the teaching world, you have to work with everybody who comes in your door, and you have to become a master, you know, psychologist in some ways. So it was not a smooth transition for me, and I made a lot of mistakes. But the great thing is, you know, I learned that every day I could start over, and I learned a lot that first year. The relationship with the kids was awesome. It didn't get super awesome as teaching until probably year five or six. That's when I was like, this is sweet. This is wonderful. This is incredible. It took a little while. So, Vicki, after you first started in the classroom, what kept you going? Because you and I, we talked to a lot of teachers, and we're all familiar with a lot of teachers don't make it to the five-year mark, despite what society says about how easy our job is. What kept you going in those early years? No, I knew I was called to it. So when I was in the classroom, I felt this is what I was born to do. So I knew that I had the calling. I knew that we could do incredible things. And my mom and my sister were both high school teachers. So they were my mentors. I called them all the time. They helped me, coached me, helped me learn. I started reading books. Fred Jones' Tools for Teachers saved me. I love that book. There's a whole chapter on behavioral management. And when I learned that you don't have to say a word to regain your classroom. You can pretty much do it all with proximity and having the look, the teacher look. Mm-hmm. You've got it, you know, and, and Harry Long, all those those procedures came a little bit later. 
But there's a whole lot of freedom once you have your procedures, once you kind of know what you're doing. So I think pretty quickly I knew I was called. I knew I could improve. And yes, there are amazing teachers out there, which there are. I knew I could find them and I could learn from them because anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly at first. And I don't know who people think they are, that they think they can be a first-year teacher and just have it all perfect because most of us totally start off screwing up. And we have bad days. And not only do we have bad days, we have dark days because we are messing up. And parents and even administrators tend to be very unforgiving in today's world. So when we screw up, they are really telling us, and it's like, God, give me some hope. I know I messed up. I had supportive colleagues. I teach with fantastic teachers. So I learned a lot from them. I went to conferences. I read. And my goal is to level up a little bit every day. So now, you know, after 15 years, I'm not going to be arrogant. But, you know, when I'm in my classroom, I've got it. I know I've got it. We're covering a lot. We're doing a lot. I love them. We have a great relationship, and we're in the flow, and it's awesome. But it took a while to get there. I just think it's unrealistic for anybody to think, and and there are exceptions. There are first-year teachers who just go do amazing jobs, and everything's perfect. But most of us mess up. These are kids. You know, any time you have kids involved, there's a lot of pressure to get it right. And that's understandable because we love students. We want to do right by them. And so if you do something wrong or if you're perceived to be unjust or you mess up, there's not a lot of forgiveness there. I think the mistake that early teachers make is they dig in way too fast. An expert teacher, most of us, wait and listen to both sides of the situation a little faster. Mm-hmm. When I was in my earlier years, I would get way too emotional too fast. I would get way too upset too fast. And when you get upset and you get angry, you're no longer the adult. I found that stepping back, taking a deep breath, you know, when I'm angry, my first response is typically to have the student go sit outside my door. Till I can think, until they can think, and then we can come back together and work it out. That doesn't happen very often, though. You know, my first year, I probably sent kids to the principal's office, I'd say, 40 or 50 times. I sent a kid to, maybe in the last three years, I've sent one child to the principal's office. I just don't have to do it anymore because I've got it under control. So I think that it takes a while to get better. And I do think that new teachers need a lot more support, a lot more encouragement. They need coaching. And then they have a lot of head knowledge. A lot of the teachers coming in were stars in their college classes. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between the head knowledge and the hand and the foot knowledge and the mouth knowledge of knowing what to say, what to do, and how to do it. There's just a difference there. And books like Todd Whitaker's, What Great Teachers Do Differently. And another thing is realizing that it's about relationship. Look those kids in the eye every day, call them by name, see how they're doing, and then you can cover a lot. But if you don't have that relationship, it really is, I hate to be cliche, it really is putting the cart before the horse for them to come in and you start writing a lesson plan. If you haven't connected on a human level or a you know, relational level, you've just got the order all wrong. So I do think it's expectations, but I do think that there's a real difference between 
doing it in a book and talking about it in a classroom and actually being a teacher. So there's a monstrous difference. Vicki, we talked about expectations, and that's one of the reasons many new teachers are discouraged. Expectations from parents, from administrators, from their students, and even from themselves. And I just want to encourage to our new teacher audience that you're going to make mistakes. It's going to take some time. Vicki used to send students out all the time. Now she rarely does. So, Vicki, I want to talk about more about classroom management and discipline. You said having the look and forming student relationships has helped you. What else have you learned about classroom management and discipline that you can share with our audience that has worked well for you? I'm a Terry Wong fan, and the first thing is to make sure you have your classroom procedures. Does everything flow? If you've got the flow, then you can get to everything else. Do they know where to turn the paper in? Do they know where to turn the online stuff in? I use an online learning management system called Haiku Learning, so they always know where everything goes, and, and we have all that down. I also have them be able to ask for my help in a wordless way. I think you should eliminate all unnecessary verbal conversation so you can talk about the content. Like, for example, every um, computer has what we call a station card, and there's a little kind of slot above the computer that I just made with these business card holder things. They slide it in, and if it is green, that means everything's good. If it is red, it means I'm totally stuck. Nothing's right. They flip it over to yellow if they want to ask to be excused, and then they have, I have a procedure for that. And then blue means I just want to talk, and I added that this year. And that's kind of different. Red means I'm stuck, but blue means I want to talk about grade. I've got something I'm curious about. Hey, I have this great idea. We want to talk. And they just flip their card, and I can see at a glance if there's anybody who's stuck. If I look at my classroom and I see, okay, I just, we use the input method of teaching. So they're watching the video, you know, how to do this software or whatever. And if they finish the video and I all of a sudden see half the room turn red, okay, I've got a problem and I need to do that, handle that as a class. A red flag is kind of like if you were rafting down the Nottahala River, which I do every summer, they tell you that when somebody's in the water, that that is a red flag for every single person that's around to try to get that person back in the boat immediately. And so we view a red card the same way. It's a signal for everybody to help that person get back in the boat and get back on course immediately. So just that in my technology classroom makes such a huge difference. I've got lots of other little tricks that I use, but... You know, having a wordless way to ask for help is just such a fantastic way to focus on what you're actually trying to teach. And I know some teachers do it mostly in elementary classrooms, but I really think it should be in every classroom. There's so much we can learn from other teachers, and that's why I'm really encouraged to see other teachers doing podcasts out there. And, Vicki, let's conclude with this. There's probably some discouraged teachers out there who are probably dreading going back to work for the second half of the school year. Any encouragement you can throw at them as we end the show? My second book, Reinventing Writing, I talked about a concept that a lot of teachers seem to be liking because they're emailing me. And that's called Innovate Like a Turtle. So that's my strategy of innovation, which does not sound fancy or snazzy at all. And it's just innovate a little bit every single day. So I always have my next three things I'm going to learn. I take 15 minutes twice a week to read my Feedly and to read all the stuff that kind of keep myself updated. And just ask yourself, you know, what's my media diet going to be? 
what are the things I'm going to pay attention to that are going to make me a more excellent person? Because you become like those people who you are surrounding yourself with. And the problem that a lot of us teachers have is that we play in toxic waste. Toxic waste is the negativity that boils up in the teacher's lounge. Now, it's tough, and it happens because we work with kids and we work with parents. And, you know, like I said, the volatile situations happen when kids are involved because kids are precious and they only have one childhood and we want to do it right. But when you bathe in toxic waste, you get sick. And none of us would go play in the toxic waste dump. Well, why do we hang around the people who always have something negative to say? And that's hard because sometimes we have to point a finger at ourselves and say, I'm the toxic waste. So I think that the best resolution for all of us teachers, myself included, and especially myself because I'm talking to myself, is to avoid all toxic waste. Yes, there are time, there's time for constructive criticism. There's time for problem solving and improving things. But if what you're doing is just walking, complaining, and belly aching, that's a waste, and it's toxic, and we need to move away from it. I definitely agree. Staying away from the negativity, the drama, the complaining, and the whining that other teachers can do will definitely help you be a more successful teacher. And I want to thank our special guest, Vicki Davis, for joining us on the program today. And definitely encourage you to check out her resources, her website at coolcatteacher.com. And that is going to wrap up our show for now and looking forward to bringing you more quality programs in the new year. And speaking of the new year, I hope it's a great one for you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.